and uh, we appreciate your prayers for him in the future going. He don't know for sure what all is going to have to take place from this point forward, but uh, just he's a tough, tough fella to be here like that. And uh, we love you, brother, and God bless you. And we'll be praying for you. Hebrews chapter number 7, verse number 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham." But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. The mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weaknesses and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath. For they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, 
who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Father, we ask the blessing upon the reading of your word. I pray right now that you would just help us to understand this text. May we see that we need you, Jesus, our great high priest. We need you for multiple reasons we need you. And Lord, I pray that you would just still our hearts, calm our fears, give us a mind of understanding, a heart of compassion, and Lord, help us to listen to you today and be changed into your glory. And God, I just pray right now for your help. I cannot preach without you. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Lord, if there's one in our congregation that's come in that's not saved, I ask you right now that your conviction be upon that one and that he or she turn to you in faith, believing and being saved. Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. <clears throat> the writer writing to those who were tempted to return to Judaism, to go back under the law. They were attempting to revert back to the law. And we have established in previous teachings that Jesus wants us to go on to perfection. Jesus wants us to go on to perfection. Listen, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to allow you to remain the way you are. You are to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough for you to say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. God wants to make you like Christ. He wants to make you like Christ. And this Christianity is not something you do on Sundays. It's not a social event. It's literally life and death. And as we live in these days, you're going to see how important Christianity is not just for the functioning of your life in this church, in the realm of the church and spirituality, but you're functioning out there. You're going to see, I believe, it coming. And there is something in man that he wants to return back under the law. The flesh desires for us to keep a few requirements, check them off our list, and feel like we're okay. And that is the flesh that has that desire. However, there's only one problem with that. If Jesus desires us and God desires us to be perfect as is, Jesus is perfect. And the law says in the scripture here, the law has made nothing perfect. Then how in the world, or why in the world I should say, would we ever want to return to the law thinking that the law will make us perfect? We can't. And it won't. So he gives us, the writer here gives us six needs that are only fulfilled by our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to pay close attention because throughout the study of Hebrews, there's a lot of uh, intermingling with Old Testament stuff, with uh, stuff that was involved in Judaism and things that you and I really don't know a lot about. And we're wondering about all this stuff and how it fits. Remember, these people that, to whom he's writing... 
They were wanting to go back under the law. They wanted to keep the feast. They wanted uh, circumcision. They wanted all these laws back in their life because they felt they were more comfortable under those laws. You know, it's, just, it's, it's easy to talk about walking and living by faith, but it's difficult to do, isn't it? Because how many of us in this room want to be in control of our lives? Yeah, we get the little, we get the little uh, T-Rex hands there when we, when we ask those questions, don't we? We're raising up here like this real close. We don't want to talk about that. You know, what we need to understand is just how badly you and I need our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Guys, listen to me. We have a desperate need, and those needs are only fulfilled in the one and only, the great high priest of our faith, Jesus Christ. Not in some earthly priest, and that's the whole argument of this. And this is essential in this book of Hebrews and understanding the rest of Hebrews is this discussion of the great high priest and what he does on your behalf. Now, when he begins to teach us this, he uses a teaching method that the rabbis used in, under Judaism. They would teach by contrasts. They would take two items and they would contrast one with the other. And this is what he is going to do. He is going to show them that Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He was not. Some people believe that he was, came to, uh, to Abraham when Abraham had, came, had come back from rescuing Lot. Remember when he had to go rescue Lot? And he defeated the, He had a great victory and he came back. He met him, the king of Melchizedek, on the way and he gave him tithes. He paid him tithes. Well, some people believe that Melchizedek was a theophany. You know what a theophany is? It's a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ in the Old Testament. It wasn't. It was not Jesus. Because we see the Scripture tells us that Melchizedek was made like Christ. Not Christ like Melchizedek. Melchizedek like Christ. So he is a type of Christ. And so when he's speaking to this Jewish audience, they knew exactly who Melchizedek was. He was king of Salem. Salem was an ancient term for Jerusalem. Many people have tried to dictate, uh, distinguish, but it goes back to, all the way back to Jerusalem. And so everything is intricately woven. They would know who Melchizedek is, and they would know what the writer is trying to accomplish in this argument of contrast between the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood of Christ. The priesthood of Christ is so much better than the Levitical priesthood of which the law came. So much better. And I want you to see that. There are six reasons. Number one reason, in the first ten verses we see, we need a priest that is eternal. We need a priest that is eternal. Verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Incidentally, shalom, peace, Jerusalem, all tied together. Righteousness, Jesus, it's all interwoven. It's a picture of... Melchizedek is a picture of Christ, the Messiah, who was to come after, after this appearance here. Verse 2, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part, being translated king of righteousness, and then king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy. 
Now, what he is saying here, what the writer is saying is, he is not saying that this guy didn't have a father and mother and this wasn't a real guy. What he is saying, there's no record of his father. There's no record of his mother. There's no record of his genealogy. There's no record. He is saying that. And what he is saying is, there's no record of the beginning of his days nor the end of his life. But he was made like the Son of God. So what he is doing is introducing to the people who are well-versed in Judaism, who know about Melchizedek. They had traditionally been taught down through the years and the ages. They had heard all about him. And they knew that there's no record of his beginning, no record of his end, no record of his mother, no record of his father. And he's making a comparison to Christ. Christ, Jesus. Now, you say, well, Jesus, when he came, God came flesh. He had Mary. And, and, but we're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about his divine nature. That's what we're talking about, his divine nature. Now, he says, consider how great this man was. If he's talking about Melchizedek now, just consider how great he was. This is how great he was. To whom even the patriarchs Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Abraham sees him coming. He recognizes that he is a man of God, a priest of God, and he tithes a tenth of all the spoils. Who told him to do that? How did Abraham know? Abraham knew that he was a man of God. And so Abraham tithed to him. And in doing so, Abraham, as mighty and great and a promise as Abraham had, Abraham was submitting himself to that king by doing this. Verse 5, he was submitting to him as his priest. Look at verse 5. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi... Now, this is where it gets confusing, because at the time of Abraham, Levi wasn't even born. So this predates the Levitical priesthood. You understand? You see what he is saying? We need a priest that goes before the Levitical priesthood and all of the law. We need someone who was in the beginning with God, who was God. That's what we need to be our priest. That's what he is saying. And he says, who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. So after Levi was born and all the priests came out of the Levitical priesthood, it, was a, it had to be a heredity thing. You, if you were going to be a priest in the nation of Israel, you had to be born from the tribe of Levi. And everyone, even Abraham's descendants, even though Abraham was before him, and even though Abraham gave uh, a tithe to, to King Melchizedek, all of his children, even though Abraham had a promise, all of his children still had to pay, all of his ancestors down through the line still had to pay tithes to the tribe of Levi, those priests. But look at verse 6. But he whose genealogy is not derived from the received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Now watch this. Abraham gave the tithe... And Melchizedek gave the blessing. Abraham was the lesser. Melchizedek was greater because the one that was greater was able to give the blessing. Do you understand that? Do you understand what he's saying here? Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, the writer goes... 
Listen to this. You want to know something even crazier? All the men that lived after the tribe of Levi was established and all the priesthood, everyone all gave tithes to Levi. But guess what? Levi actually gave tithes to Melchizedek because he was still in the seed of Abraham before he was even born. That's the argument here. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What he is saying, guys, listen to me. Our great high priest, we need someone that has no beginning and has no end. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the first. I am the last. We need a high priest that is eternal. One that was not a created being. And that is what he is saying. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He is talking to a Jewish audience who knew exactly who Melchizedek was. And they know exactly what he is saying. And you and I have that priest in Jesus Christ. Number two, we need a priest that can make us perfect. Look at verse 11. Therefore, based on that, based on the eternal nature, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? We need a priest that can make us perfect. And if the Levitical priesthood could have done it, Christ would not have had to come. But let me tell you something, they couldn't. They couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, when that priest would take, and you would take your sacrifice and you would bring it in to the priest, and he would divide it up and he would take the portions and put where the portions were supposed to, <coughs> and he would go in on your behalf. And he would take that on your behalf. You were not allowed in the Holy of Holies. You had to stand on the outside. And that priest would go in on your behalf. But before that priest could go in on your behalf, he had to offer a sacrifice for his sin and go in on his behalf. That's why the law could never make you perfect. Listen, you can, you can never cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, or hang with those that do, and it's not going to make you perfect. It's not going to make you perfect. What's going to make you perfect is Jesus Christ and His blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. Yet, what do we do in our churches? We spend all of our time trying to clean up the outside, and the inside is full of dead man's bones. We have a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came that you and I might be made perfect. Now, don't look at your wife or look at your husband and say, See, I told you I'm perfect. That's not what we're talking about. I'm surprised someone didn't say amen there. <laughs> Listen, we need a high priest. Listen, verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. He belongs to another tribe, watch this, which no man has officiated at the altar. No one from the tribe of Judah has ever legally, under the law, officiated at the altar, as in being a priest. None. 
Verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment. Jesus didn't come based on the law, based on his being in the right uh, line of heredity. No. He came according to the power of an endless life, the resurrection. The resurrection validated him as the great high priest. Now, I don't know, but I just get excited when I talk about this. You're thinking, priest, what does all this stuff mean? I'm telling you, you have a great high priest. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved, you have the great one and only high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one that can make you perfect, complete, mature. Verse 17, he quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 110.4, he quotes... For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Prophesied all the way back in Psalm 110. For on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. The law, the Levitical priesthood, could do nothing for your soul. No one has ever been saved by works. They've only been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's only by Jesus Christ. It's only by faith. Because the law is weak. It's unprofitable. And you have read right here that that law could not make anyone perfect. Galatians teaches us the law can save no one. No one. There are good moral people in the United States of America and around the world, good moral people that would never do certain things. But you know what? Just because they're good moral people and they would never do those certain things doesn't mean they will go to heaven. they got to come by way of the ultimate sacrifice, the one who died once and for all, Jesus Christ. Verse, 20, uh, verse 19, excuse me. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Listen, don't read that casually and gloss over it and not catch what he's saying. Do you know the Old Testament saint could never draw near to God? They could only go as far as they could go with their sacrifices. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, that the veil was torn, it was rent from top to bottom, torn in two. And we have access to the Father. We don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to come through me. You don't have to go sit in a booth with a guy with his collar on backwards and tell him all your sin. You can go directly to Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Because, because of what he's done on Calvary. You can now draw near to God. You can have a thriving, abiding relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our high priest. You see, we needed a high priest that can make us perfect. The law couldn't do it. The law made nothing perfect. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, the law only intensifies the problem, right? You tell a kid... Listen, you got your good clothes on. Don't go down the slicky slide. As soon as you turn your head, that kid's going to be going up and down the slicky slide. Paul said that the law aroused sin in me. 
It makes me want to do what you tell me not to do. Right? You, you're the same way. Someone tells you, you can't do that. How many times have you been tempted when you walk by a sign that says, keep off the grass? Now, be honest with me. How many times have you been tempted to go? <laughs> now, you're laughing. That tells me it's true, right? See, the law can't do anything for you. It can only show you you need Jesus Christ. It's a schoolmaster. Notice what he says in verse 20. Number three, we need a priest that can save us to the uttermost. I, I, I'll just be honest with you. I love that word. Save us to the uttermost. We need a priest that can do that. Verse 20, And inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, talking about Jesus, our high priest, for they have become priests without an oath. All the human priests of the Levitical priesthood became a priest because it was in their line. Hereditary, it was in their hereditary line. It was in their genes. That's what they were going to do. That's what they were called to do. That's what they were appointed to do. But Jesus is the only high priest that was made a high priest by God the Father as an oath. As if I may say it, a swearing. God says this, The Lord has shown, sworn, excuse me, the Lord has sworn and will not relent you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has giving, given His word. And remember in Isaiah we learned that God could swear by no higher. So He basically says, I swear by myself. You know how someone says, well, I swear to God. Well this, He's saying, God says, there's nobody greater than me so I have to swear by myself. So I swear by myself. He makes an oath. He makes an oath that He is going to be our high priest. Now, verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. Every one of those priests of the tribe of Levi died. And they were only limited to how, much they, how, how long they could serve as a priest. But not our great high priest. He's not limited by death because he lives. And we're going to celebrate that here next month. Right? We shouldn't celebrate every day. We do celebrate every day. Look at verse 24. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Jesus, our high priest, is able to save us to the uttermost. And that's what we need in a high priest. Listen, you don't have to worry about your salvation if you believe in Jesus Christ. You're saved and He is your surety. He is, he is the down payment. He is the fulfillment of your eternal life. And I love this because this is amazing. You don't have to worry about anything changing. There's no more new covenants. No, nothing's going to change since the cross of Calvary. Nothing is going to change. You will always be in, secure in Jesus Christ because He lives forevermore. And all those other priests that gave blessings and did their sacrifice, sacrifices and did all that stuff, they died. And guess what? Everyone in this room, you and I are going to die. 
If you're healthy, it just means you're dying at the slowest possible rate. That's all it means. Yet we spend all of our life on our creature comforts here. We spend very little time on eternity. We spend very little time on cultivating Christ-likeness in our lives. See, we've got a high priest that can save us to the uttermost. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know how far the uttermost is, but that sounds like it's pretty cool. I mean, that sounds like there. It, I, mean, I don't have to worry about it. Number four, we need a high priest that can intercede on our behalf. Look at verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost who can come to God through, for all those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you know that the Bible talks about the devil as the accuser of the brethren? The devil can't be everywhere at the same time. He's not omnipresent. He can't. I remember when I was growing up, there was preachers who wouldn't write notes down because they thought that the devil could see it. Well, if the devil's looking at your notes, he can't look at someone else's notes because he's not omnipresent. Only God is. He can't be everywhere at the same place. But the Bible teaches us, if you read Job and various other passages, that the devil runs to and fro the earth and he is an accuser of the brethren. In other words, when you mess up, he highlights your sin to God the Father. You say, well, he's awful busy. I, I get it. I understand. My life too. He highlights our sin. And the Father is there, and the Father hears the highlight of our sin, which he already knows. He already knew it before. He knows everything. And the Lord Jesus Christ stands up on our behalf and intercedes for us. Now, I want you to just picture this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that you have the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have the intercession of the Holy Spirit. Two-thirds of the Godhead is interceding on your behalf to the Father. Why in the world would you not want Jesus Christ? Why would you not want Jesus Christ in your corner? We need a priest who doesn't have to go get a bull Pick a perfect spot, a perfect bull without spot, without blemish, or a perfect lamb, and bring that in and sacrifice it all up because I messed up in my sin today. No, you don't have to do that. Jesus Christ stands up and said it was paid for once for all on the cross of Calvary. Jesus said that His blood is sufficient to cover all of your sins. Every one of them. Before you even committed them. He knows about them, and His blood is sufficient to cover those sins. I also think about not only His intercession, but I wonder the times He has interceded on our behalf that we don't even know that He was there. In times of grave danger. Things that we don't even to this day know about that Jesus Christ interceded in on our behalf. I don't know why the world is so alluring to the flesh. I really don't. People seek after f fame and fortune. But most of the people you watch on the television that are fame and fortune, they're so messed up. They hate their lives. Suicide is a greater percentage amongst those than of us common people. Yet people strive after that. People strive after certain different things. They want to make a name. And you know what? 20 years after you're dead and gone, nobody even remembers you. 
40 years after you're dead and gone, 50 years after you're dead and gone, 60 years after you're dead and gone, your family don't even remember you. They don't even know you. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is with you forever. And the moment you close your eyes on this earth, in death, you open your eyes in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. The only thing that will matter is Jesus. And how much are you going to leave behind? You're going to leave it all behind. Everything you worked for, everything you worked to amass, you're going to leave it all behind and people are going to fight over it. That's why I tell people, you know, I know about inheritance and everything. I tell older people, just spend all your money. Don't let your kids fight over it. Just live and spend it all. And when you die, be broke and then let the kids worry about it then. You say, well, that's not very practical. Well, I'm just telling you. Money changes people. Number five, I'm moving on. I'm not, I'm not meddling. I'm moving on. Number five, we need a priest that does not have to offer sacrifices for his own sin because he has no sin. Jesus doesn't have to take away before he can atone for your sins and atone for his own sins. He don't have to do that. He's never sinned. He doesn't have to sacrifice for his sin because he's never sinned. Look at verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, listen, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. That's your high priest. That's my high priest. He has never sinned. You read all these weird people talking about Jesus and how he did this and he had, un, he had children out of wedlock. and all, they're, they're nuts. They don't get that from the Bible. Jesus Christ is holy. He's holy. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. That's why He can atone for our sins, because He never sinned. He's perfect. And look at verse 27. This is so wonderful. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for His own sins and then for the people's, for this... He did once for all when he offered himself up himself. Remember he used to sing in the church, once for all, old sinner receive it, once for all. I don't know the rest of the song, but I know the name of the song. I'm one of those guys that just don't know the words. I make it up as I go. It drives Amy crazy. That's not the way the song goes. That's the way I like it. My younger brother was convinced that uh, that song, Easy, like Sunday morning, eggs. I had eggs on the end of it. I convinced my younger brother when he was growing up that it was eggs on the end of that. Listen, we need a high priest that doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own sin. He doesn't have to take away from us to offer for him because he has never sinned. He's never sinned. And this high priest is holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled, he's separate from sinners, and he's become higher than the heavens. He did it once for all when he died on the cross of Calvary, when he presented himself, and he died for your sins and my sins, and he was buried, and he arose from the grave. We need him as our high priest. Not some guy who's been in the family lineage, and because he's been in the family lineage, that's the family 
trade and he does that and he doesn't care about us. He just offers the, the sacrifice without compassion. He's like, man, this is 268 today I've done. And no. We need somebody who was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Who was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Who knows how we feel when we're lonely. Who knows how we feel when we're hurting and when we're suffering. Who knows how we feel when we've lost everything. We need Jesus, our high priest. Verse 28 says, and this is the last one. For the law appoints as a high priest men who have weaknesses. The law appointed weak men, but the word of the oath which came after the law, appoints the Son, capital S-O-N, Jesus Christ, who has been perfected forever. We need a high priest that has been perfected forever. He's unchangeable. There will never be any condition, any spot, any blemish, any imperfection in Him. He will always be perfect. And we need Him because you and I are not. You and I are not. The priest we need is Jesus Christ. Why would anyone want to depend on the law? Why would anyone want to depend on what they can do when you have Jesus Christ, our great high priest, when you can cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you, when you can trust in Him and you can be delivered from sin, when you can trust in Him and be saved to the uttermost? Why would you want to trust in your works? Why would you want to trust in something else? Why do you need another priest? You Listen, and I'm not being cruel. You don't need to go through Mary. You don't need to go through Mary. You don't need to pray the rosary and do all these things. You can go boldly to the throne room of Christ because we have a great high priest, Jesus. And he said I could. And that is enough for me. The law is powerless to change or make anyone perfect. Only Jesus can do that. So real quickly, a point of application. Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would invite you today to turn from your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus and what He's done on the cross of Calvary. I'm not asking you to turn... I'm not asking you to do all these things to straighten up your life, clean up your life. Pastor, when I get some things right in my life, then I'll, you'll never come to Christ. Abandon all that. Abandon your attempts at self-righteousness and come on the merits of the blood of Jesus Christ and what He's done for you and me on the cross of Calvary. You need Him as a high priest. You need Him as a high priest. So if you have never been saved to the uttermost, today is the day that you can come and be saved. If you are saved, I will tell you this. The same way you are saved is the same way you're sanctified, church. You don't make yourself after you're saved. Now I'm going to make myself more like Jesus. No, Jesus does that in you. Here's our problem. We would rather do little things of works to feel good about ourselves rather than totally surrendering and abandoning ourselves to our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and following Him. We'd rather say, look, if I can read my Bible, I can tithe, I've done that, I'll be good today. I've heard preachers say this, I want to tithe so that my washing machine don't break down or my car don't break down. Well, I hate to tell you this, your washing machine, you're going to break down. Years ago, they used to make washing machines. You could, I mean, you could do whatever you want and those things would last forever. Now you get, what, two years out of them? 
Cars are going to break down. Don't tithe because of that. Tithe because you've got a great high priest that you love Jesus. Don't read your Bible because you have to. And if you don't read your Bible, something bad's going to happen to you. Something probably bad happened to you anyways. I'm just trying to be the voice of reason here. Let me just tell you something. Read the Bible because you've got a great high priest, Jesus, who's interceding on your behalf and you love him. Listen, this shows me that I absolutely need Jesus every moment of my life. I am totally dependent upon him, not only for my salvation, but for my sanctification, the daily outworking of my life, my Christian life. I need him. I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. We need him, church. And listen, what we need to do is we need to come to the place in our lives where we realize that everything we need is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Colossians, we are complete in Him. We're complete in Jesus. Now listen to me. You might be going through something, and I don't even know what you're going through. You say, I'm about to lose my job, and if I come to Jesus, maybe He'll rescue my job. That's not the promise. We're talking about eternal life. You need more than your job rescued. You need rescued from your sin and from yourself. What I'm saying is salvation is not you rubbing the genie vase and getting a wish and God giving you the wish because you came to faith in Him. Salvation is realizing you're lost and undone and you cannot. You're absolutely a sinner and you cannot get to, can't get to the Father unless you go through Jesus Christ. You abandon your attempts. And listen, there's a lot of church people who are doing things for the wrong reasons in a church. We need to do what we do for the Lord because He's our great high priest and we need Him. We need Him. Not because no one else is going to do it. Not because, you know, I'm going to quit serving because no one recognizes it. That, that's foolishness. That's your flesh talking to you. And see, sometimes people like to do those things, and they like to brag about how much they read, and they like to brag about how much they give, and they like to brag about how much they serve, so that it draws attention to them. You've got a great high priest that knows everything. He knows everything. Why don't you abandon that all that gobbledygook and self-righteousness stuff and come to Jesus Christ and depend on Him? By faith, follow Him every moment of every day of your life. We have a great high priest, Jesus, the one we desperately need. Would you bow with me, please?